Hello, this is David Keel, and I'd like to welcome you to TNBS, the Thursday Night Bible Study. This study was held on October 28, 2010. Tonight we will be studying the 13th chapter of Romans. So welcome again. This is TNBS, Volume 2, Session 27. 13th chapter of Romans is where we're going to start tonight. Now, if you remember, thinking back to Romans 12, 1, where Paul starts off by saying, Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your body as living and holy sacrifice, which is your acceptable service of worship. For Paul to, to, to teach the fact that we should be sacrificing our bodies, or in, in, in essence also meaning sacrifice our very lives to Christ, yeah, that's a pretty good lesson for us. But you have to remember the audience that he's talking to here. For him to be saying that to the church at Rome had kind of a little extra emphasis for them. Because it was a very real possibility that they may indeed have to literally sacrifice their bodies for their faith because of the conditions under which they were living. They were living in, what, the seat of Satan, as they used to say, you know, right there in the Roman Empire. Now, Nero was the ruler, which a few years after Paul writing this letter, he's writing this letter, what did we say, 57, 58 A.D.? About less than 10 years later is when Nero just really lost it, you remember? They, they think he went absolutely insane. Some people think it was due to a venereal disease that just started eating up his brain. But anyway, uh, he just went bonkers. And he burned part of Rome so he could build a new castle <laughs> and then blamed it on the Christians. And then he's the one that started persecuting the Christians just horrendously. Uh, you know, he's the one that used to soak them in oil and stick them on stakes and have them stuck in his garden to light his garden. He'd light them on fire and use them for torches before he could walk around in his garden. And there's dinner parties and things like that. So, really a neat guy. You know, somebody you really want to invite home for supper. You know, so <laughs> but this was a few years later. But the people, the, the uh, Christians at Rome were definitely, definitely had a historical as well as a present real danger that they were in just, just to be worshiping. Uh, because of where they were. So for Paul to say, I urge you therefore, brothers, to present you a body as a living sacrifice, really carries some extra extra emphasis to them. It really meant something a little bit more to them than it does to us. Not many of us, I dare say none of us, will ever be required to literally sacrifice our bodies for our faith in Jesus Christ. Not as long as we stay in this country, hopefully. But for the people at Rome, that was a real possibility. So now he's going to go on and talk some more about, in fact, this whole 13th chapter is going to be talking about authorities and, and how we should relate to the authorities. So we're going to pick it up in uh, 13, Romans 13. Let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, he who resists authority has opposed the ordinances of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. Now, Paul is instructing the, the church to live in subjection to the ruling authorities, the, the, the ruling authority that, that is over us. Now, everybody has some type of ruling authority over them. I think every society in the world has some type of ruling authority over them. And the basic point Paul is making is that these ruling authorities are, are placed there by God. God's sovereignty, in his sovereignty, has established authority over people. And he's basically saying that if we resist this authority, then we are, in essence, resisting the authority of God because he has established these authority, these different authorities, these different governments over the people. Now, God in his sovereignty has established these ruling authorities, and we are to live in civil obedience 
to the laws under which we live. However, you waiting for the however. Waiting for the however. However, we need to remember that God is the ultimate authority. That phrase in there where it says, which are established by God. So God is the ultimate authority here. And when the ruling authorities usurp the authority of God and take actions that are in violation of God's authority, then we're not to obey the laws. Okay? Now, remember, remember in Acts, if you remember the, in the fourth chapter of Acts, turn over in the fourth chapter of Acts. Here we have the story of Peter and John in the fourth chapter of Acts. They have been arrested for healing the man at the gate, if you remember. When Peter went in the gate and the guy asked for alms and he says, Silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you. And he says, In the name of Jesus Christ, arise and walk. And he did. And so they were called before the Sanhedrin Sanhedrin, and tried and, and questioned to, to a great extent. And that great phrase in there in verse 13, when the people were listening to what Paul, Paul and, and Peter, uh, excuse me, but Peter and, and John were saying in verse 13 of the fourth chapter, says, Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained, untrained they were marveling and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. I just throw that verse in there. It's got nothing to do with the lesson tonight, but it's a great verse to look at because that's really how we should be living our lives. In fact, it does have something to do with the lesson. The very last verse of the 13th chapter talks about that. We should be living our lives in such a way that people recognize us as having been with Jesus. Which verse was that? That's uh, four four twelve. Excuse me, four thirteen. Four thirteen. But reading on down, the ruling authorities were in a pickle here because everybody knew that they had healed this man, so they couldn't call them a bunch of blasphemers because they had actually healed the man. But neither could they agree with what they were teaching because they were talking about Christ, which was in direct opposition to the Jewish faith at that point. So. Verse 17, but in order that it may not grow this spread any further, this heresy which you're talking about, verse 17, but in order that it may not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to any man in his name. Talking about Christ's name. In verse 18, when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or to teach it all in the name of Jesus. So basically they said, okay guys, you've got to quit this. You, you, you can't teach in the name of Christ anymore. You've got to cut this out. This is rocking the boat here. The religious establishment. You're going against this. You just can't do that. Look at verse 19. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking what we have seen and heard. So, as I said, when the ruling authority starts to usurp the authority of God, and starts to create laws and, and situations that are direct violations to God's authority, that's when we need to not obey them. And that's what the point Paul is making here. We should live in civil obedience to a point. But when that point starts to violate God's laws, then we are to be live in civil disobedience. Now, the problem is usually not God's establishment of rulers over us. The problem is when the rulers go against God's rule and start establishing man's rules. That's when the problem occurs. When they start taking the authority which God has given them as rulers, His sovereignty, He has allowed them to, to enter into this position of, of rulership. <laughs> Is that a word? I'm not even sure. It sounds good. And, you know, in rulership, by His authority, they, He has allowed this. 
and then they take it one step further and starting to ignore his rules and start establishing their own rules and start living by their own guidelines. That's where the problem comes. Now, our response can be different depending on how the laws are exactly stated. And by this, I mean, in looking at governments and ruling authorities, there are some governments that will establish a law that will force a condition or spiritual condition or or moral condition that is contrary to God. There are other governments that will create a law that will allow a moral or spiritual condition contrary to God's. And and here's the difference I'm talking about. Think back in, in, in Christ's birth when Herod. When Herod came across and he made he he created an edict, a law, that all the children two years and younger should be murdered, which was directly a violation you know, of God's authority. Or if you look at Hitler and his laws that he created for the Jewish people. Now in that case where a government authority was creating a law that was creating something, requiring something to be done that was ungodly or, or against God's authority, then there should have been civil disobedience. And we should rise up in civil disobedience at that point. But when you look at what some of the things our government has done, like, for example, with our laws with abortion, you know, it's a law that, that allows that to happen, but it doesn't require it to happen. Okay? So in a case like that, then we need to boldly proclaim the teachings and the truths of God and to use every means possible to get the law changed. But it doesn't necessarily require civil disobedience. It doesn't necessarily require us, you know, forming a, 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 a cult somewhere you know, in civil disobedience. And you see the point, the difference between there? When the governing authority starts to go beyond the authority God has granted them in, in their position as rulers and started, starts to create their own authority and is counter to God's authority and is counter to God's teachings, then that's when civil disobedience should become part. That's when we should be, should, we should be in civil disobedience. There is a time and a place for civil disobedience when government has usurped the authority of God. But otherwise, we're to live in obedience to the rulers over us, to the authority that's over us. I've heard this verse quoted in defense of just, just giving in because, you know, you're not supposed to ever question the government. That's not what Paul is saying. It's not what he's saying here. He does say that we should live in civil obedience to the ruling authorities over us. He specifically, directly says that, should live in subjection to the governing authorities. But I think he's, he's talking more in, along the lines of, of put it in, in our modern terms, if, if we get in our car and desire to drive down Bobby Jones, we should live and drive in obedience to the civil authorities, which says you can't go before 45 or 55. You know, we should, we should, we should live in a civil obedience to that authority over us. Uh, we shouldn't just just drive like, you know, we own the road. And let's read on. Because one of the reasons God has, has given this authority and has created this rule is for our own protection. Can you imagine what society would be like without any ruling authority whatsoever? But yet people oftentimes balk and complain by saying we shouldn't obey the government. But can you imagine what it would be like? I was thinking about that sitting on the porch tonight. Just in this neighborhood right here, you know. What, what, what would we do if there was no laws? I mean, you know, what would you stop somebody just, just, just driving up and just pulling out a gun and shooting me and, and coming in and taking what he wants? I'd say, well, we'd have to band together as neighbors to protect one another. You know, you're talking about gated communities. You would have fortresses, you know. 
we'd have a gate across down there at the entrance and just, you know, <laughs> man it 24-7. And can you just imagine? And this is what Paul is talking about here. So we sh- we're to be subject, subject to the government authorities over us. In that sense of, of obeying the laws. And particularly in the, in, the, in the church at Rome, they were very, very much so supposed to live in authority in the Roman government. But they were not supposed to enter into Caesar worship. They were, you know, those, those types of things that would go against God. No. But this is the point Paul is making. So let's read on. Verse, verse 3 of, 12th, of 13th chapter. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. And if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing, for it is a minister of God, for it is an avenger who brings wrath upon the one who practices evil. Wherefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also because of conscience. For laws are not a source of fear unless we're not going to obey them. This is what Paul is basically talking about here. We know that we shouldn't fear the government unless we're going to be planning on breaking their laws. Most of the laws, especially in the United States, are for our protection and good. But if we or anyone else breaks the laws, then we should expect, can expect, punishment or, or justice. He just says we would expect that from somebody else who breaks the law. We would expect them to receive justice. So, to avoid punishment, <laughs> wrath, as he says here in these verses, and to have a clear conscience, he says you should live in civil obedience under the laws. But always remember who has the ultimate authority over our lives, and that's God. And who deserves our ultimate obedience, which is God. You always have to keep that in mind. Just as the ruling authorities should keep that in mind as well (laughs) when they make their laws. Should. They should. But not always. Verse 6. For because of this you pay taxes for rulers or servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to do all what is due them, and tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom, whom custom, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. And Paul is basically saying here, as a result, we should render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. We should pay our taxes, pay our customs, don't go fishing without a fishing license, don't drive a car without a driving license, you know. Pay income tax, pay sales tax, pay the taxes. That is living in subjection to the ruling authorities. Now also, if you think about that, that's the only way that the, the ruling authorities can exist. I mean, that's how they live. You know, we pay their salaries through taxes. Now, Paul says we should do that. But that's not an original with Paul. Look over at Matthew 22. And this is the other part of this which a lot of people seem to just conveniently forget. Christ has the same teaching in Matthew 22:21, And he says, then they said to him, oh, back up. Verse 18, But Jesus perceived their mouths and said, What are you testing me, you hypocrites? Show me a coin used for the poll tax. And they brought him a denarii. And he said to them, Whose likeness and description is on this? And they said to him, verse 21, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Then render to Caesar's the things that are Caesar's. That's what Paul is saying here. We should pay our taxes, pay your customs. You know, live in authority. And that's where a lot of people end that verse. That's not where Christ ends that verse. Look at the rest of that verse. Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. That's the side of this thing that so many people conveniently forget. Matthew twenty-two twenty-one. You know, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. 
state tax, sales tax, income tax, you know, government taxes. Yeah, we should pay those. But don't forget, we're supposed to render unto God the things that are God's. In money, that's the tithe. But there's also the honor and the praise and the glory and the worship and all those things which belong to God. Just as we're to live in civil obedience to the ruling authorities, we're supposed to live in spiritual obedience to God. And we render unto God the things that are God's. Render to Caesar, the government, the things that belong to the government, but you render unto God the things that belong to God. And that's, like I said, monetarily, that's the tithe. Yeah, and I'm an, I'm an old, I'm an old right-winger on that one. I really am. Tithe to me is 10%, folks. It's 10% of everything you earn. Not 10% of what you take home. It's 10% of what you earn. Comes off the gross. But that's me. Yes? Um, in, in, ver- in chapter 12, it talked about not avenging people for what they do wrong because that'd be God's mm-hmm. God doing that. And then it talks about in chapter 13 how they, the authorities bear the sword of God. <laughs> Very true. In chapter 12, Paul does say, in chapter 12, uh, 19, never take your revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. But then over here it says, in the fourth chapter, who brings wrath upon the one who practices evil. The difference there, Jep, is in 12, Paul is talking about vengeance, revenge. In, In 13, 4, 5, and 6, he's talking about government authority, justice. And there's a difference there. He basically says we should not try to avenge ourselves. You know, we should not take vengeance on our neighbor. But he also says over on, under this, in chapter 13 that it's perfectly okay for government to dispense justice to those that do wrong. And that's the point he's trying to make there when he says, but if you do what is evil, be afraid for it does not bear the sword for nothing, that, there, that the government does have the right or should have the, the right to, to dispense justice for those who break the laws. There's another way of saying that. He's, um, he's saying you shouldn't repay people evil if they do that to you. Like, right, vengeance and, and, and revenge. Should, yeah, he's, stand up for others, though. Right, he said revenge is wrong. Just because someone harms you directly, you should not try to get even with them. Uh, if, it's something, if they broke the law to do that, let the government get even with them through justice. But you shouldn't do that directly yourself. That's the, that's the difference between the two here. Yeah, exactly. Okay? All right. Where was I? Oh, verse 8. Oh, nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. 9. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is a fulfillment of the law. We should not be in debt to anyone except the debt of love. Now, I don't think Paul is advocating the fact that we should never borrow money. Okay, although that certainly is not a bad practice to live by, trust me. (laughs) Excellent financial advice, never borrow money. But in today's society, it's very difficult. But I think what Paul is saying is that the point he's trying to make here is that we we should love each other as though it is a debt that we could never fully pay. That's really what he's saying here. For living a life in a loving agapeo is the word he uses here. It's the unselfish love of God. It says, for living a life in a loving attitude to everyone will indeed fulfill the law. 
So he says, the only debt we should really have is the debt of love to each other. That is the one thing that we should constantly be trying to pay back, is the debt of love toward one another. Christ says, John 13, 38, I think it is, that people will know us by our love for each other. I just rattled that off pretty quick off my heads, guys. <laughs> John 13, John 13, 35. I'm sorry, I missed it by three. There, there is a 38, but uh, John 13, 35. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. That should be a distinguishing mark of discipleship. Is our love for one another and our obedience to Christ. Our love for Christ. And Christ says, the way you demonstrate your love for me is through obedience. Okay, and Paul said, this is the one debt that we should never, we should never think is fully paid. is our debt to love one another. For that will fulfill the law. What's the greatest commandment? To love your Lord God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And the second is likened to the first, which is to what? Love your neighbor as yourself. And basically Paul is saying, listen, you take the Ten Commandments, you can summarize them into those two. Christ said the same thing. You can summarize it into those two. You can take the Ten Commandments, you can take the 680 whatever plus laws that the Pharisees came up with after that, you can take them all and sum them up into two. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. You do that, all the rest of the commandments take care of themselves. This is exactly what Paul is talking about here. Okay, verse 13, 11, excuse me. And why should we do this, Paul says? And this do, knowing the time that is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is near to us when we believe. The night is almost gone, and the day is at hand. Let us therefore lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. Paul is saying, this debt of love, we should love one another, and, and we need to we demonstrate this love toward one another. We need to do that because the days are short. And basically he's saying, listen, we're close to the second coming of Christ than we've ever been. Now, did Paul believe that Christ was going to return imminently in his day? Or I don't really know. If you look at some of the scriptures, it's kind of hard to tell. In some places he talks about like he's expecting Christ to show up tomorrow. Other places he's not talking about quite that imminent. But regardless, the point is still valid. We should live our lives. We should live our lives with a certain attitude of urgency. With an attitude of urgency, we do not know how long Christ will wait. But we should be ready to meet Him at any time. And we should love as many people as we can into the kingdom with us. Showing in the love of Christ. Demonstrating in the love of Christ. Paying this debt of love which we owe one to another. And until then, until He does come, we should be living in obedience to Him. Behaving properly, you know. Paul says, laying aside the deeds of darkness... Uh, laying aside, the Greek word there is apotithemia, apo, which means from, and tithemia, which means to lay. So you, you lay it from you. you. You lay it aside. In other words, you put it down away from you. You take these, these deeds of darkness, which he talks about here, and you, you lay them aside. And he says that in uh, 12, I think it is, isn't it? Let us therefore lay aside the deeds of dignity of darkness and instead put on the armor of light. Lay aside the deeds of evil, the evil <laughs> desires of sin. Lay that aside and put on the armor of light. 
put on the armor of light. And let us behave properly, he says in verse 13. And he lists just a few things there. Of course, the list is not inclusive, obviously. Because he only lists, what, six? Well, carousing, drunkenness, that's very similar. Sexual promiscuity and sensuality, that's pretty similar too. Strife and jealousy, hmm, that's kind of similar too. So maybe he only lists three, but if you want to call them six here, that's still not inclusive, all inclusive. If you want a longer list, go back to Romans 1. I think he lists 23 there, I think. Um, if you want some more, you can go over to Galatians 5.19. There he'll list mm, a whole bunch more. Yeah, but anyway, his point being that we should put aside these, these deeds of darkness. And you put on the armor of light. Let's put on the armor of light. Remember Ephesians 6.10 through, through 17. The armor of God. Putting on the armor of God. Ephesians 6. Let's look quickly. One of my favorite scriptures. Ephesians 6.10, Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of the might and put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggles are not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the powers and against the world forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Verse 13, Therefore take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. And then he goes through verses 14 through 17 and lists the armor of God. So we're to put aside, apo tithemia, put aside, apo from tithemia to lay, to lay aside, to lay from us these deeds of darkness and to put on the armor of light. And then he expresses that again in, in verse 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. If you look over in... Ephesians 4. I should have stayed right there. It just two, verse, two chapters away, wasn't it? <laughs> Ephesians 4.22. Uh, back up, 21. If indeed you have heard Christ, Him, and have been taught in Him, just as truth is in Jesus, verse 22, Therefore, in reference to your former man of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, verse 23, and yet you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Does that sound familiar? Romans 12.2. Ephesians 4.22 refers back to Romans 13.12. Uh, 13, Verse 24. And put on the new self, which is the likeness of God, which is being created in righteousness and holiness of the, tr- of the truth. So we need, we're, we're to put on Jesus Christ, is what he says. To clothe ourselves in Jesus Christ. Verse 14 of the 13th chapter of Romans. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And the word he uses there means to, to clothe, to put on clothes. But the literal translation of the word, and I love this, the, the word there is in duo, the Greek word, and it came to mean to, to get dressed. So he says we're to enduo the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to, to get dressed in the Lord Jesus Christ. But the word literally means, E-N means I-N, in, or into. And duo means to sink. So literally what Paul is saying in Romans 13, 14, we're to sink into Jesus Christ. We're to sink into Him, to put on like a set of clothes or like you would get into clothes. Now when people walk up to us on the street, they see our clothes. They see what we're wearing. But what do they see spiritually? We should live our lives radiating Christ. We should sink into Christ. Clothe ourselves with Christ. Clothe 
ourselves with Christ's love, with his grace, with his forgiveness. This is the image Paul is trying to give here. And we're to not allow the lust of the flesh to become a part of our lives. And, and I like what he says there. He says, it's, he says put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no, provi- no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. Make no provision. We, we're, we're, we're not to allow the sinful lust into our lives. Not only are we not to allow it into our lives, we're not, we're not to make any provisions for it in our lives. We're not supposed to like reserve a section for it to live and grow in, you know? We're to put all that aside. We're not to make provisions for it. We're not to nurture it, to encourage it to grow, to encourage, to encourage lust like that to increase. We're to lay them aside. We're to put on Christ. We're in duo Jesus Christ. This is the point he's making here. We're to live in authority, under authority, to the point to where it starts to violate God's authority. We should live in civil obedience, as long as it does not go against God's obedience. We're to have a debt of love toward one another, which will fulfill the law. And we're to make no provisions for the lust of the flesh. We're to sink into Jesus Christ so that we radiate Christ in our lives. That's the way we should live our lives. Just as people see us walking down the street, they see what we're wearing, people who encounter us should encounter Jesus Christ and His love and His mercy and His grace. I still remember... And I cannot remember the old saint's name at First Baptist. Whenever he gave a public prayer, he would always include the phrase. He would always include the phrase, Lord, let us remember that we may be the only Jesus someone sees. And how true that is. Pray with me. Father, may we indeed remember that we may be the only Jesus someone meets. I pray, Lord, that we might indeed live every day, every moment of every day, sinking into Jesus Christ and His love, radiating His grace and mercy. Father, give us, give us wisdom. Give us wisdom to, to be able to discern what we should do in situations to where we have ruling authority which we think Ah, it just doesn't make sense. It just, it's just not jiving with what we know to be true. Give us the wisdom to know how we should react, how we should deal with those situations. I pray with the upcoming election, Father, that, that your spirit may, may guide those of us who will be voting to make the right decisions so that the rulers will have a heart to rule with your authority. And help us to love, Father. An unselfish, open, unended love for one another. For other believers, yes, Father, because that's how people will know that, that we're disciples, as you say, because we'll be different because of our love for each other, but, but also for our love for others that are not disciples, for others that don't believe. May that be a distinguishing mark of our lives and may in and through all things 
May we radiate Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the words of Paul. Thank you for the lessons that we can learn. Thank you for your love that will walk with us in and through all things. Thank you, Father. For this is my prayer in and through the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, my Savior, and my Lord, and my very bestest friend. Amen and amen. Thanks for joining us tonight, and as always, if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, or even just to let me know you're listening, you can send me an email at davidlkeel at gmail.com. Hope you'll be able to join us again next week, where we'll be looking at the 14th chapter of Romans, where Paul talks about how we should look towards each other as he builds toward the unity of the church. So until then, as always, it is my prayer that we may live and walk each and every day, radiating Jesus to everyone we meet. May God bless you.